This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Good morning, Christian Family Church, Johannesburg. So exciting to be back with you again this wonderful morning here in April 2023. What a beautiful time it is in Johannesburg. Nice and cool, not too cold. All right, here we go. Today's message is going to be a great blessing to all of you. Titled, Grace for Financial Increase. Say that, Grace for Financial Increase. Again, Grace for Financial Increase. Praise God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, notice the word grace in that verse. For you know the grace of God, that you through Christ's poverty might become rich. Now, that word rich in the Greek means a full financial provision, a full financial supply. All right, so this then is God's plan for us, to bless us financially by His grace, right? The Lord Jesus died naked on a cross with no earthly possessions. He took our poverty so we could have financial provision. He took our poverty so we could have financial provision. Of course, he took our sin so we could have his forgiveness and righteousness. But he took our poverty, he took our sickness as well. All right, financial provision and blessing is the grace of God at work in our lives, according to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. Too many Christians are struggling in their own strength to meet their financial needs. God wants to meet our financial needs by resting in His grace and favor. God wants us to rest in His grace and favor. And too many Christians are struggling to make ends meet. Today we're going to learn Today we are going to learn how to do this, how to rest in God's grace for financial provision. At the beginning of July 2010, I was led by the Spirit of God to call someone who was under terrible financial stress here in the church in San Antonio. Their business closed down back in November 2009. They hadn't earned any money for approximately eight months. They were living on prescription drugs to help them cope with the stress. They had all sorts of physical ailments due to stress. I asked this lady on the phone, are you using your faith for a new job? She said, yes, I am. 
She said, I'm confessing I have a new job. Now, I could tell right away that she was using her faith incorrectly because she was overcome by fear. Overcome by fear. You can't use your faith when you're overcome by fear. Faith will remove fear. Meditating on the word, meditating on the word, till faith comes, will remove fear. If fear comes, faith leaves. You can't have both at the same time. I asked the lady to write down a specific confession that I gave her. And I said to her, say it over and over, and then stop every once in a while and praise and worship God, and then carry on doing it. I told her to do it several times a day. So several times a day, dear lady, I want you to make this confession, and then when you're done, praise God. Tell Jesus you love him. Tell the Father you love him. And then make sure you do that package several times throughout the day. Don't forget to do it. All right. I told her that within seven days, seven days, she would have her new job. Well, within five days, she got a job for $10,000 a month. $10,000 a month. That's not too shabby back in 2009. Now, would you like to know what that confession was that I gave her that changed her life? I'm going to tell you. But before I do, there's something you need to know. Before I tell you that, that confession I gave her to say, there's something you need to know. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. Reading from verse 22 of the New Living Translation. As they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and asked God's blessing on it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And Jesus said to them, This is my blood, poured out for many, sealing the new covenant between God and his people. Sealing the new covenant between God and his people. Now, obviously, they were drinking wine, but he's saying that the wine represents my blood that's going to be, going to be spilt on the cross. All right. Now, God gave his own blood. He gave his own blood when he gave his life. In order to give humanity the opportunity of entering a covenant with him. Now, as we all know, entering a blood covenant requires total giving from both sides, total giving from both parties. So God is going to give his life on the cross to make the covenant available to humanity. We are going to give our life in return to enter the covenant. 
Otherwise, there's no covenant. Now, for us to enter this blood covenant with God, God requires that we give our life completely to Him. Our responsibility from that moment on, once we have done that, is to allow Christ to live His life through us. That's what it means. To allow Christ to live His life through us. That's what it means to give our life to Him. In other words, become a glove on the hand of God. Become a glove. Let Him work through us. Jesus was willing to be nailed to a cross for you and me. Now it's our turn. It's our turn. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 38. This is the Lord speaking now, right? If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. What does that mean, take up my cross and follow him? That means crucify my life, not my will be done, but his will be done in my life every day. That's what it means. Every day, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you live for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give, your, give up your life for me, you will find it. If you say, I'm not living for myself, I'm living for God, you'll find life. You'll have this covenant life. In other words, instead of living a selfish life, I now live for God. Say that. Instead of living a selfish life, I now live for God. Now, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Okay. If I was my own, I'd be on my way to hell. But I gave my life to Christ, therefore I belong to Him, and He is taking me to heaven. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, you are not your own, you are bought at a price. What price is that? The life of God on the cross, that's the price. Jesus gave all for this covenant opportunity. It's when we do the same that we see God move in our lives. It's when we give our all to God and step into that covenant that we see God move in our lives. We've got to walk in covenant blessing, child of God. This is the grace we read about in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. As we began here today, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That happened on the cross. He became poor on the cross. That's the covenant transaction. That's where the covenant took place. That is how we enter God's grace and favor, through entering this covenant with God. By entering this covenant, we step into God's enormous grace and favor. Now, how many of you have actually done that, given your life to God? Would you see that? Can I see your hands? Wave at me. Give the Lord a wave offering. Let him know I belong to you, Jesus. Tell him I belong to you, Jesus. Here I am. Let that hand witness to God now that you are his child. Okay. 
Now then, listen to this. The 10% tithe is our test. The 10% tithe is our test to see whether we have given all to God. To see if we are participating in the, in the covenant of grace. Say that. The 10% tithe is my test to see whether I am, whether I have given all. To see if I am participating in the covenant of grace. Again, to see if I am participating in the covenant of grace. Okay, so the tithe is my test. It's our test. All right, now let's go back into history to the time of Elijah. The Bible says, because of sin and Satan worship, there was a severe drought in the land of Israel. It had no rain for three years. Three years, no rain. There, were no, there was no water in the rivers or food available anywhere. No water, no food. People and animals were starving to death. The Bible tells us the story happens in 1 Kings 17, verse 8. It tells us, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So God has already spoken to the widow to take care of Elijah, even though she didn't realize it. God had already spoken to her heart. See, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, anybody with a clear-thinking mind must have thought, well, okay, praise God. There's a widow here that's got some kind of well in her house and got water and she's got food and, and God knows where she is, so I'm going to go over there and everything is going to be great. Okay, fine. So he's probably looking for somebody He's a widow who's wealthy. Okay, off he goes. Verse 10. So he arose and went to Zerpath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. And as she was going to get the water, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand as well. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Huh. Listen to that confession, that we may eat it and die. Well, that's not a good confession, is it? And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me 
and afterward make some for yourself and your son. So she had fear. That's why he told her, don't fear. She's going to die. She's afraid. And he said to her, don't fear. Just make me some of that bread. I'll eat your only meal. Bring it to me first. Then afterwards, you'll have all the food you need to take care of you and your son. So why does he tell her, don't fear? Well, where does fear come from? Obviously, Satan is the cause of fear. God told Timothy, Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is a demon. Now, why did Elijah tell her not to be afraid? The answer is simple, because fear would stop her from giving that last meal to God. Fear is the number one reason people don't give to God. They are afraid that God won't meet their need. They are afraid they won't have enough money at the end of the month if they sow into the work of God. Now let's carry on reading from verse 14 to see what happened. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the job well run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth again. You'll have food until rain comes. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. All this woman had to go on was the words of a stranger who claimed to be a prophet of God. I'm sure if the modern media were there, they would have said to this woman, woman, can't you see he's trying to con you out of your last meal? Now, what would have happened if she had not given that last meal away? She and her son would have died. God would have to provide for Elijah some other way. God would have to take care of Elijah some other way. This woman was prepared to give her very best to God, to give her last meal, all she had. She was prepared to give that away to God. Sow it into the work of God, into the prophet's ministry and life. In fact, she was giving away her life, really, wasn't she? That's faith. That's faith. Giving all to enter this covenant of blessing. Now, a drought, a recession, a depression does not stop God from being God. Say that. A drought, a recession, a depression does not stop God from being God. Here is the worst of all circumstances. No rain, no food, no water, but God works a miracle and meets their need. All that drought did not stop God from producing supernaturally for them. And he will do that for us too. He's the same God 
yesterday, today, and forever. God's principles work in good times and in bad times. No matter what comes our way in the future, never stop sowing into God's work. Never stop sowing. No matter how bad things look, keep sowing into the work of God. By doing this, we keep the grace of God's financial blessing coming into our lives. The moment we stop giving, then we shut off God's grace of provision and we step out of the covenant blessing. Don't ever do that. No matter how bad things get, God will take care of you no matter what it looks like. So the only way God could save her and save her son and help the prophet of God was if she was willing to give into God's work, into the ministry of that prophet. When she gave the last meal, she stepped into covenant with God, and the grace of God's provision flowed in her life. Some years ago, one of our pastors here in San Antonio asked me whether a Christian widow woman in our church should tithe she had very little money coming in, and she had two little children to take care of. And she was the only breadwinner, a little widow woman. Immediately, I wanted to say to the pastor, no, she doesn't have to tithe. I fully understand her position. I was going to tell him that, and immediately I remembered the widow woman, the story we've just read about in 1 Kings 17, where Elijah ministered to her and told her to give away her last meal. So I remembered that story just then. And I realized God's telling me she needs to tithe so he can bless her. So I told him to do that, and he passed on the message. And I explained that story to both of them, or to him to explain to her. Now, this little widow woman was down to her last meal, and God wanted her to give that last meal away before he could bless her. Before he could bless her, she had to give away that last meal. The widow woman experienced God's covenant grace because of her giving. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees, fell on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this man wanted to be saved, and he wanted the assurance of salvation. Now go to verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against anybody. You shall not defraud somebody, cheat them out of money. And it says, honor your father and your mother. 
honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've not broken any of these commandments. Now here's a man telling God, I've kept all the commandments of the law since I was a little boy. Now let's carry from verse 21. Jesus does not argue about that. He doesn't say, no, you didn't. You broke this commandment right there and this one over there. No, he agrees with the man. Yes, I know you've kept all the commandments. So it's true, all right? 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come, follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. You're not going to be poor. Give it away, but you'll be richer. All right, come follow me. Even though the man fulfilled all the requirements of the law, so he's perfect in every way, he could not have eternal life. There was one thing that he lacked. He had to give before he could receive eternal life. Then he had to follow Jesus. So he had to give before he could receive eternal life. Then he had to follow Jesus. Now it seems as this man, it seemed like, he could not be saved without becoming a giver. Say that, it seems like. This man could not be saved until he became a giver. Now let's go on reading Mark 10, 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This man was sad. A sense of loss gripped him. A sense of loss gripped him. This rich young man did not realize when you give, you don't lose your money. It is multiplied into your future. Say that. My money is multiplied into my future, now and in eternity. All right, go down to verse 23 now. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is for somebody who's rich to go to to heaven. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Now he knows, I mean, he's the Savior, right? This is who saves us, right? And he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Huh. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, when somebody reads that, they automatically think of a needle that you sew with. Well, that's not what he's talking about. We took several tours to Israel when we were living in Johannesburg. And one day, we were standing outside the wall of Jerusalem, next to one of the big gates. And there was a hole in the wall next to the big gate. It was about 
four and a half feet, five feet high, and only about three feet wide or so. And uh, the tour guide stopped us and said, you see that hole? That is the eye of a needle. We thought, wow, okay. He said, now what happens is when they lock down the city, they lock the gates, then security stands on the other side of that eye of the needle. If any, any uh, bad, you know, bad people come through there and want to attack the city, they can easily take care of them because they're going to come through one at a time, easy to kill them and protect the city. But in peaceful times, the camels had to get on their knees and the person who was carrying product on the camels had to take everything off the camel, go inside the eye of the needle, take the camel's reins and drag that camel on his knees and it's a big deal to get him through that eye of the needle. Then pack up the stuff again, then get on the camel or whatever and go for wherever you want to go to. So uh, obviously the, the traders did not like to come late. But Jesus said that it's like a rich man, difficult for him to get to heaven. It's like he has to go through that eye of the needle. Jesus said in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now that's heavy duty. So why is that? Why did Jesus say that? The author of our salvation. It's hard for rich men to go to heaven. Well, because they, mo not most, a lot of rich people don't part with any money. They don't want to support the gospel. They might give a small amount in comparison to what they have. They won't tie 10% for sure. But I know some very wealthy people in Johannesburg and here in San Antonio who do tithe 10%, who are godly. And thank God for them. Amen. Now then, perhaps the Lord Jesus being a little unrealistic or unreasonable by telling this man, even though you've done everything else you need to do, you still can't go to heaven until you become a giver. Is that unreasonable? You can't go to heaven until you become a giver as well as everything else you've done. Why is that? Well, giving is evidence of covenant participation. It's the evidence that he has entered a covenant with God. See, this rich man was obedient to God that way. He believed in God. He believed in heaven. But he had not entered covenant relationship with God. He had not entered covenant relationship. And that confirms that this rich young ruler was not prepared to give his life to Jesus. Was not prepared to give his life to Jesus. He was not willing to enter covenant with God. You see, there's a lot of people that come to salvation and they'll accept Jesus as Savior. Yes, save me, Lord. I accept you as my Savior to save me. But it says you've got to make him Lord as well. 
You've got to make him Lord as well. Romans 10, 9. If you believe in your, mouth, believe in your heart and declare with your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. So we've got to make him Lord, not only Savior, right? We know that. So this rich young ruler wanted him to be Savior, but not Lord, because he wanted to run his own deal. And that's unfortunately, some rich folks are that way. That's why it's hard for them to get born again. Now then, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of, what's the word grace there? In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welling up in rich generosity. So they were in a very difficult time right there, financially. But it says they were generous and gener very rich in gener generosity. It says in verse 3, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They received an offering for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And they were eager to give from what they had. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So he tells Titus, I want you to speak to the folks here in Corinth and tell them they've been collecting this money. Keep collecting it until you're done collecting everything and then bring it to Jerusalem. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Now that's the point I want to make. So God here says giving is an act of grace. Huh. So receiving is grace received. And giving is grace given. So when we give, we are stepping into the realm of God's grace. Notice, this is a ministry of grace and opens the door to God's grace in our lives. Say so that when I give to the gospel, I open the floodgates of God's grace in my life. Now, let's go down to verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in the love we have kindled in you. Now, here Paul writes the church at Corinth and he says, you have excelled in all aspects of Christianity, in your faith, your knowledge, your earnest about God, and you walk in the love of God. 
Now he says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So it's not good enough just to do everything else. He says, I also want you to excel in this grace of giving. Just like Jesus said to the rich young ruler, you've got to give. Paul tells him, you've done everything you need to do, but you've got to excel in giving as well. Same thing. Same thing. Jesus said in the Gospels, Paul writes it to the church in the letters. Now let's go to Malachi 3.8. Let's find out more about tithing. All right. God said to Israel, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? God says, you robbed me in tithes and offerings. By not bringing me your tithes and offerings, you have robbed me. Verse 9, therefore you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. So what curse is that? Well, Israel was being plundered by foreigners, and everything they owned and grew was taken away, stolen. So God said, this curse has come upon you because you did not tithe. Now, what is that curse? That curse is an open door for the devil to steal from us. So if I don't tithe, God can't protect me, and Satan can attack me. All right, let's go to verse 10. How do we solve this problem? I guess we have to pray, right? No. I guess we have to live right. No. He says tithe. The only thing to do is tithe. Bring as an act of your worship the full amount of your tithe. Bring your tithe as an act of worship, your 10%, the whole tenth of your income, into the storehouse, which is the local church, that there may be food in my house. He's referring to spiritual ministry and the preaching of God's word, the spiritual food. And prove me now by doing this. Go ahead and put me to the test. Check me out. Experiment with me. Test me. Give me an opportunity to prove myself. And you will see that I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will throw open the floodgates of heaven for you. And I'll pour out on you so much blessing, financially and materially, that you will not have enough room to contain it. Now, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. I will protect your source of your income. I will stop the devil stealing from you, and he will not destroy the fruit of your righteous labors. And you will not fail to receive a fruitful harvest says the Lord your God. This curse, as I said, is the open door through which Satan can attack us and steal from us. That's what the curse is. Now let's look at a few principles found in this scripture about tithing. So let's look at a few principles we've just seen here in this portion of scripture about tithing from Malachi. Okay, number one. The word tithe simply means a tenth of all our increase. 
of all our increase. Whatever additional funds we receive in our life, be it salary or blessing, 10% belongs to God. And God instructs us to bring the whole tenth of our income to Him. Not 9%, 10%. Number two, we should honor the Lord with His tenth before we pay any of our own accounts. Before we pay any other account, we give God His 10%. Number three, when I tithe my tenth to God, I'm actually working 10% of my time for God's kingdom. So if I am giving 10% of all I earn to God, then obviously whatever I do out in the marketplace for a living, 10% of that time I'm using to work just for God's kingdom, to finance His kingdom. 10% of all my talents and my life and energy are being used to further God's kingdom when I tithe 10%. Number four, those who do not bring their tithes to the Lord hurt the Father. Say that again. Those who do not bring their tithes to the Lord hurt, hurt the Father's heart. Because it's like saying to God, I can't trust you to take care of me. God, I can't trust you to take care of me. Either I don't believe you can, or I don't believe you will, even though you said you would. I just don't believe you. I can't trust you. That's why we hurt God. Now imagine saying to your wife, Honey, I can't trust you. I just want to be honest with you. Today, I must tell you, I just can't trust you. That's going to be a problem in your marriage. If you've ever said that, I don't think you should do it. Just advise you not to. That's why God said, return to me by bringing your tithe to me. Come back to me. How? By bringing your tithe to me. Stop hurting God. Number five. God asks us to prove him, put him to the test. Number six, when the father says he will open the windows of heaven, God is saying, I'll pour out my grace on your finances. I'll pour out my grace on you to prosper. Opening the windows of heaven means I will pour out my grace on you to prosper. You will have my grace and my favor working for you as a tither, as a tither. And we ought to confess that. God's grace and favor to prosper is on my life. We ought to say it. Say it with me right now. God's grace and God's favor is upon my life to prosper. Now, the literal Hebrew for opening up the windows means he will empty out all of heaven's resources, whatever is necessary. Again, he will empty out all of heaven's resources, whatever is necessary to take care of us. Number seven, 
He promises divine protection. Praise God. From all things that would like to steal our finances. If I can't give to God my 10% of all that He's given me, then how can I say I've given my life to Jesus? How can I say I've given my life to God when I can't even give Him 10% of my money or His money? Not mine, it's His. Can we see that? Isn't that a good question? How can I say I've given my life to God, I'm, I'm partaking of the covenant, when I can't even give the 10% that he wants? See that? That's a big problem, right? Now, and how can I say I'm walking in the full covenant blessing? How can I say that I'm walking in full covenant blessing when I can't give my 10%? How can I say that? Could it be that some are afraid to tithe because they have more faith in the $500 if they're earning $5,000 or in the, in the 500 rand if they're earning 5,000 rand? Could it be that they have more, tithe, more faith in that 500 rand or that 1,000 rand they should be tithing than they do in God. So this, I know that this, this 1,000 rand, I know it can do a lot for me, but I don't know if God can do as much. So I'm just going to hang on to the tithe. So could that be the reason that some folks don't tithe? Do they have more faith in their money than they do in God. Does this not weaken their faith to trust God in other areas? Does it not weaken their faith to trust God in other areas if they're not tithing? But for us to have given our lives to God in the covenant of grace, we've entered into the covenant of grace, those of us who've done that, it is a joy for us to tithe to God for the advancement of His kingdom in the earth. The advancement of His kingdom in the earth. The lost, the confused, and the hurting world needs Christ more than ever. Would you like to know what that confession was that I gave that lady? What was it that the lady said that gave her a $10,000 job in five days. Here it is. It's up on the screens for you to read with me. Father, thank you for showing me where my new job is. Thank you for guiding me to it because of your grace. Thank you for guiding me to my new job because of your grace. So I told her to say that confession several times and then to praise God out loud and say, Father, I love you. I worship you in Jesus' name. And I told her to do that several times a day, several times a day to make sure she remembers. 
And I said that within 10 days, she would know exactly where that job was. Within seven days, she would know exactly where that job was. Then what I worked out, that within five days, she got that job of $10,000 a month. So I said, within seven days, you'd know. She got the job in five days. Remember, she had gone without work for eight months. This is no accident, no fluke. Just managed to happen at that time. No, not at all. She had been without work for eight months and tried desperately to get work and was confessing that she had a job, but she was full of fear. Now, because she was a tither, that confession worked for her. Because she was a tither, that confession worked for her. Now, God knows exactly what you can do with your talents and your abilities. He knows exactly what you can do with your talents and your abilities. God knows what work is available that suits you, wherever it might be. Something you will enjoy doing, God knows what you'll enjoy doing. And which will bless you financially, God knows. He knows exactly where that job is. Let's say this together. Father, thank you for showing me how to increase my financial income because of your grace. Thank you for showing me how to increase my financial income because of your grace. See, it's not struggling. It's grace. It's his mercy. Then listen to your heart when you say that. Listen to your heart. A knowing will grow inside of you. A understanding will grow on inside of you. And in a few days, you'll know where that money is or what to do to earn it. It might be something you can do at home in your spare time. It might be a new job with a lot more money. We tithe and we give offerings to God to further His kingdom in the earth. And this church, CFC, Jasper, supports missionaries and works around the world. We are a huge giver as a ministry. And so am I. Pastor Bev and I have been tithing for many, many years and gave away three homes three, t one, three different times. We believe in it. So, we tithe and give offerings. Firstly, to further God's kingdom on earth. And secondly, we tithe and give offerings for our own personal financial benefit. We tithe and give offerings for God's blessing on our finances. That's why I give. Say that. I tithe and give offerings. Let's say that again. I tithe and give offerings to further God's kingdom on the earth. Secondly, secondly, I tithe and give offerings for my own financial benefit to allow God's grace and favor to 
bless me in everything I do. Now, if the church, if Jasper is debt-free, and it is debt-free, so is San Antonio. If the church is debt-free or not debt-free, that has nothing to do with our reason for giving. It has nothing to do with our reason for giving. We give because of the benefits we receive and because we want to minister to people's needs around the world and bring revival worldwide. That's why we give. And praise God our churches are debt-free so that we can give more to the gospel. Praise God. We still have expenses, obviously. There are ongoing expenses to run a ministry the size of Jansburg. You better believe it. But all the good work that we're doing by the grace of God is wonderful. Now, I'm going to pray for everybody here today for God's grace and favor to come on every tither. I have walked in that grace and favor. I am blessed financially, I'm pleased to say. And uh, I've trusted God by His grace. I've not struggled in finances, not struggled in my own finances to believe God. And nor have I struggled with finances for the churches, Jasper against San Antonio. Whenever we go through a challenge financially, I just say, Father, Philippians 4.19, you meet all my need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I believe all the tithers are blessed and they will tithe. And the money comes into the church. Praise God. So, I believe today that there's going to be an impartation of a special anointing of grace and favor to come on you today, right now, as we step over afresh and make a fresh commitment to tithe and to give offerings today. And we're going to be conscious of this fact that grace is ours. This is not something we've got to do. It's something we get to do. Tithing is a privilege. It's walking in a covenant of grace and favor. Tithing is covenant practice. That's what it is. Nothing more than that. Now then, please rise to your feet if you're not standing. That's if you're going to make this decision and refresh yourself in a tithing and if you have never tired, then you're fresh and new here today. You've heard this message, and you're thinking, well, I want to get in on this. I want to tithe. Then you stand up too, and you make that confession with us today. All right, let's say this. Let's close our eyes, raise our right hand to God. Say, dear Father in heaven, I'll try that again. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for this covenant of grace and favor. I know that I can accomplish a lot more with your mighty blessing of grace and favor on my life than I can ever accomplish struggling in my own strength alone. So from today, I make a fresh commitment to give 
to tithe on all my increase and give offerings of and above the tithe. And I thank you, Father, from today. Now, your grace and favor rests upon me, and everything I do will prosper. Your blessing is with me. Your grace is with me. And I walk in your covenant of blessing and grace from today. I rest in your provision. I do not struggle anymore in my own strength. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now give the Lord a great big praise. A great big praise in the house. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Praise God. Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. How many would say, Apostle Theo, I need to be sure I'm going to heaven one day. I don't know if I am or not, but I want to be sure today. Can you pray for me? Yes, I can. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, say this little prayer with me if you want to be sure you're going to heaven one day. Put your hand up as well if you're going to say this prayer for the first time. Dear God in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die on that cross for me. He was punished for my sins so I could be saved. I accept you, Jesus as my Savior and my Lord, I surrender my life to you today. Praise God. Thank you for accepting me as your child. I am saved. I am bound for heaven. I am born to God's family. That means I am born again. God bless you. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Dot com.